Hi, I'm Lisa Henderson, your host for Daring Parenting, and I'm so glad that you could be with us today. If you'd like to hear more of our podcast, you can go to daringparenting.com. I'm delighted to have someone whom I met as a dog trainer and have just been so impressed and enlightened by her knowledge. Kate Jackson is the founder of Jabula Dog Academy Indicator, and you can go to their website at www.jabulaadogs.com. Now they've got four locations all around the city and the Academy Indicator is a training center. So it's where people take their dogs and other professional trainers come to learn from Kate. Now, Kate's a certified dog trainer through No Limitations in Las Vegas. She's also a member of the International Association of Canine Professionals, the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants, and also the American Kennel Club. Now, she volunteers with numerous training and rescue organizations around the Atlanta area, and she's also been called in to be a consultant for dog training on national TV shows. And last but certainly not least, Jabula Dog Academy has been named by Atlanta Magazine several times for the best dog training in Atlanta. So today I'm just very happy to have Kate with us and to help us understand about our dogs and many of these also apply to our kids. So let's just dive right in. We all know when we cuddle our dogs and talk baby talk, that feels like us loving on them. But that is only one piece of it. Can you explain a little bit about the different uh, ways that we can show love to our dogs? There's definitely a, a space for the sweet little voice and the cuddles and all the affection, the physical affection. The reason we have dogs is to have that physical connection that we can cuddle and let them snuggle with us and all of that good stuff. Mm -hmm. The challenge comes in in that if we only use that as our form of reward and affection towards our dogs, we often can create instability. Ooh, can you explain more about the instability? Dogs evolved to follow humans. They evolved to have humans supply their basic vital needs for living, mm -hmm. um, their food, their water. It becomes far more complicated when you don't then take control of the aspects of a dog's life where they feel security and where they feel like they have a place and a purpose. So by just putting all the emphasis on physical attention and not addressing your bigger issues like boundaries and rules and routines and sequences of events, you end up with a dog that doesn't really know where their place is in the world. They don't really know where their place is within their family unit. And you end up with a dog that is insecure and you end up with a dog that may then display behavioral issues more so than they would if they had those rules and boundaries and an understanding of where they fit in the world. So one piece of this is scheduling. Do you believe in scheduling for kids as well as dogs? Absolutely, without a doubt. Schedules create predictability. When children and when animals know what is predictable within their day, within their average time where they're either alone or with, or with a human, 
you create security. It's just it's absolutely the exact same thing for children um, and for dogs. I know for my children, for us, our toughest schedule is our evening routine, the dinner, bath, bedtime routine. The minute there's a deviation from that, I see them starting to act up in little ways that they shouldn't. The minute we deviate from those sequences of events, we do this at five o'clock, we do this at six o'clock, we do 6.30, we read books, and then seven o'clock, it's lights out. And the more consistent I am with that routine, the less tantrums I see, the less hyperactivity I see. It, the, the problem comes in when I've had a busy day or if I'm exhausted and I'm rushing through something to try and you know just get the time done, that's when I start to encounter issues. It's the exact same thing with dogs. If they know what their sequence of events is in a given day, they get up at a certain time, they go for their walk, preferably the same time every day. If their feeding schedule is about the same time as well, you just end up with a dog that is content in knowing what their next step is in their day. Now, Kate, you spoke about this when you were training me, uh, about the nuances in behavior, the little things that are sometimes easy to overlook. Do we as humans underestimate what those little changes mean in our kids and our dogs? I think having had children and now doing all of this, I've, I've been training dogs 18 years. My children are only three. So I've had far more practice training dogs. But since having children, I've realized, I think, how much more important it is for our dogs, simply because I've had to create these really clear schedules with my children and in doing so have done so with my own dogs. Ah. And it's really clarified to me how important it is for our dogs. And there's always been that level of consistency and, and sequence of events that we do in dog training. Mm -hmm. But adding the, the routines and schedules to your everyday life has really, really showed me in having kids how important it is for our dogs. Another piece after the schedules then would be boundaries and consequences. What do you think is the most important thing we overlook about setting boundaries? Inconsistency. You have to be consistent. And if, if your rules in your home are different to the rules in my home, that's okay. You just have to be consistent with what your rules are. I'd like to talk about consequences. With children, I always think of natural and logical consequences. But when you're training dogs, what kind of consequences do you have? And then what do they learn from those? So dog training falls into what's called the four quadrants, the actual application of training methods. And the four quadrants are positive reinforcement, positive punishment, negative reinforcement, and negative punishment. And negative is and positive negative and positive are used in this term adding or removing something from the dog. Adding something to increase the likelihood of a behavior is adding a treat to get the dog to do that same behavior again or increase the likelihood of that behavior happening again. Negative reinforcement is taking something away to then increase the likelihood of a behavior. 
So it's, it's a fairly old school technique with a lot of the retrieving dogs teaching a dog of what's called a forced retrieve, which means you hold whatever it is in your mouth until I tell you you can spit it out. Mm-hmm. Um, old school technique, but this is a good example. They would do an ear pinch and they would continue to pinch the ear until the dog was asked to drop something out of its mouth, or until the dog held it rather. Okay. Right? So you're adding something, you're adding an ear pinch to increase the likelihood of the behavior holding the item they're being asked to hold. Negative reinforcement is removing something to increase the likelihood of a behavior. So jumping up, for example, you can turn your back is a technique that people will use. So you remove your attention. Positive punishment is adding something to decrease the likelihood of a behavior. Positive punishment would be? If a dog is jumping on you mm-hmm. and you would then use your knee to knee them in the chest to have them stop jumping on you. You're adding a knee to the chest okay. to decrease the likelihood of them jumping again. So removing ourselves from the room is an example of negative punishment. The dog is jumping on you, you leave the room, you take yourself away, you remove your attention, and the goal of that is for the dog to be less inclined to jump on you because you leave when they do. So positive here again is used in the sense of addition, adding something. So positive and is adding something, reinforcement is to increase the likelihood of the behavior. So adding something to get the dog to do the behavior more frequently. Easiest, most obvious way is a treat. You offer the dog a treat, you're adding a treat to increase the likelihood of the behavior, say sit or down, whatever it is you're asking them to do. Negative reinforcement is removing something to increase the likelihood of the behavior taking something away so that the dog is inclined to repeat the behavior more often. Let me explain a little bit more, more yeah, in detail. So negative reinforcement is remo- yeah, removing something to increase the likelihood of a behavior. So for example, um, remote collars. Remote collars are a really misunderstood tool that if used in the wrong hands are incredibly detrimental to an animal. If used in the co- appropriate way, you would use the the stimulus as you ask for the behavior. Once the behavior is complete, the stimulus stops. Okay, so in other words, you're using this to reinforce, as soon as you do what I want you to do, the uncomfortableness of this stops. Exactly. If you have any, or if anyone has any um, understanding of riding a horse, we don't have the luxury of being able to use a whole bunch of verbal commands when you're riding on a horse and stopping and giving him a treat whenever he does something correct. Mm-hmm. So the technique that you use in, tra- in, in riding a horse is yielding to pressure. And yielding to pressure is essentially when you feel my heel pressing slightly on your side, I need for you to move in a certain direction. It's the exact same thing with a remote collar. I'm applying a small bit of pressure, not enough to hurt you, but enough to get your attention And the minute you have followed through with whatever the request is, the stimulus stops. So full disclosure, 
I am a big fan of remote collar training because I had done quite a bit of training with Sabi. And for her, she needed this remote collar training that Kate provided. And I can't speak highly enough about it. Sabi's extremely intelligent, my little dog, and extremely strong-minded. And this level of training is exactly what she needed. So with that being said, I'm a big fan of Kate and Jabula dogs. So how might we use this practice with our children? The only thing I can think is when my boys are distracted by something. They're engrossed in their favorite episode of Umizumi. And I need to ask them a question. I can repeat their name over and over and over and over again across the room. Or I can stand up, walk over to them, and put my hand on their shoulder, which is pressure. I'm talking to you. When they turn and look at me, I can let go and say, would you like milk or juice? Okay, so this leads me to my next question. As a pet owner and also as a parent, I know I use way too many words rather than doing an action. Can you tell us about what happens and when we use too many words with our dogs? And probably the same thing with the three-year-old would also apply. It's exactly the same as dogs. You can I see it all the time with coming when called is probably the most prevalent where you I hear them, Fido, come, 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 come. And you get more and more frustrated with it, but then you open a cheese wrapper and the dog's at your feet in three seconds, right? Yeah. I think we use too many words without enough follow through. So we essentially teach our animals that they can have selective hearing. So if you ask for something over and over and over and over and over again and never actually make the behavior happen, that's exactly what you're doing. You're teaching them that they only have to do it when you make them do it. So what should be happening is you ask for it once. If it doesn't happen, you go over to them or you use a treat or whatever it is you need to do to make the behavior happen. In doing so, you're then teaching your dog, I asked for something once and I need for you to follow through and do it. Your example, Kate, was great. You know, come Fido, come, come, and the escalation. One thing I found very difficult to do with dog training is to keep this neutral tone and this neutral body language because I've noticed when I get anxious, I then make Sabi anxious. It's like it travels right down the leash to her. What do you think is the value in staying neutral? There's so much value in it. Not only does it apply for what we just spoke about in teaching selective hearing. If you're escalating your voice, your dog is going to learn that they only have to respond when you are screaming across the room because that's when you would come and get them. So you're teaching them to ignore you and then you're teaching them to only respond when you lose it, which is exactly the same with children. Keeping calm as best as possible and keeping your, your body as neutral, your, you know, your voice as neutral as possible creates this sense of consistency. And dog training and children training is being consistent. Being consistent regardless of what the environment is doing. 
being consistent regardless of what the animal or the child is doing. The other part to keeping yourself cool, calm and collected as best you can, which I'm not sure it relates necessarily to children, but for animals, you have to keep in mind that 95% of their communication is nonverbal or body language. Mm -hmm. Only a small portion of dogs' communication is actually vocal. They are masters at reading body language because they don't have conversation like we do. Their skills for reading body language are honed in immaculately, far more than we are, because we can have verbal communication with people. And it's a skill that we have to acquire. Whereas dogs, it's just something that's innate and natural to them. So when you are starting to lose your cool, or if you're getting frustrated, angry, upset, emotional, your body language changes. And your dog is reading that like a conversation that we would have using words. I see it all the time where the owners start to come unraveled, the dog's gonna come unraveled as well. So you can't expect to, you can't expect your dog to follow an instruction um, and comply with something if in their mind you don't have it all together and you're unstable in this moment or you're giving mixed signals or body language wise doing something that, that shows them that you're not in control. Our guest today is Kate Jackson, who is the founder of Jabula Dog Academy, jabuladogs.com, J-A-B-U-L-A. And Kate has enlightened us so much so far. When we return, Kate's going to talk to us about genetics, you know, the old nature versus nurture. And then why does your dog need a job? Why does your kid need a job? We'll talk about this and more when we return with Kate Jackson, the founder of jabulladogs.com on Daring Parenting. <laughs> 